Brad mentioned earlier, I do want to just simply point out that uh, Vacation Bible School is upon us. And so around the room today and throughout our building, you will find evidence of the fact that Vacation Bible School begins in the morning. I want to encourage you that if you are not already pre-registered or not already, perhaps not even planning to participate in Bible school this week, we want to encourage you to be a part of Vacation Bible School. It's going to be a fantastic week. Now, uh, before we dismiss Kids for Kids Crew this morning, I have, I have to be the bearer of some bad news. And I wanted to say this with the kids in the room because they're going to be disappointed in this, but I want them to hear it from me. Uh, tonight, we are planning to have a pool party kickoff before we do vacation Bible school this week. In fact, the plan has been that we have rented the city's pool and we were going to have a fun evening. But this week, as they begin filling the pool, uh, there were problems and there were issues that they've run into. And basically, they had to shut it down and they have not been able to fill the pool because it needs repairs. It needs fixed. They discovered some things that they didn't know were wrong with the pool. And that means that our, our family fun night at the pool tonight is not going to happen. Now, that's disappointing for sure. Here's, here's, though, here's the good news in all of it. The good news is that we're going to do it when we can. So we, we can't do it tonight. We're going to get another date on the calendar and, and pick another Sunday evening later in the summer when we can do that. And so we will make up for it. So the bad news is it's not going to happen tonight. But the good news is that as soon as we're able to plan it, as soon as they have the pool fixed and we can get on the schedule, we're going to do it. So we're just going to have to be patient and wait. And sometimes that's hard to do. And so I know a lot of our kids may be disappointed. Some of the parents may be disappointed uh, on top of that. Maybe you are looking uh, forward to our, our family fun night at the pool tonight. But uh, I promise you, as soon as we're able to make that happen, we're going to make that happen in the future. So instead, that means that we don't have the activities planned for this evening. Instead, Bible school will just will launch into the world tomorrow morning. At 8.30, registration will open for those who want to come and get their kids registered. VBS itself doesn't actually start until 9 o'clock, but then from 9 to noon every morning this week, 8.30 each day, we'll have registration. That'll open. And if you haven't had a chance yet to kind of walk around and see all the things for Bible school, you may want to take a moment to do that this morning. It's going to be an incredible week. The theme this year is Spark Studios. And so it's all about creativity. And you even see our theme verse here. We are created in Christ. We're designed for God's purpose. And so it's going to be a fantastic week as we learn what it means to be created in Christ and designed for God's purpose. All right. We're going to take a moment now to dismiss kids who are fourth grade and under upstairs with our leaders for our kids crew worship, a time of worship designed specifically for them on their level this morning as they're making their way forward and headed upstairs. Let me encourage you to turn your Bible to Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23. Today we're beginning our new summer sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. And so this morning we're going to look at the first fruit of the Spirit Together, So Galatians chapter 5, if you were in Sunday school this morning, we studied together about love, the fruit of love. And we looked at a passage of scripture in 1 John chapter 3. And in fact, 
We're going to be in 1 John this morning. I said verse, uh, chapter 3. Actually, it was in chapter 4 that our Sunday school lesson was this morning. But we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 3 and some text in 1 John chapter 4 together this morning in connecting the dots. But I want us to begin in Galatians chapter 5, looking at verses 22 and 23, because this is where we learn about the fruit of the Spirit. So Galatians 5 that we studied together last Sunday, we read this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. I'm excited for us to study together throughout the summer the fruit of the Spirit. And so each week as the summer goes, we will look at a different fruit of the Spirit. We've written Sunday school curriculum to go along with this. We're going to produce a weekly podcast. We're going to be preaching about it. We're providing lots of opportunities for us to connect and together as a body to consider what the fruit of the Spirit is and how it is that we're to live in light of the Spirit's work as He's producing this fruit in us. And so, of course, today we're looking at love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. I don't think it's any understatement to say that we live in a world that is hungry for love and yet that doesn't understand what real love is and what real love is all about. We live in a world, in a culture that has this this misconception about love so that we think of love in terms of warm, tingly feelings. We have kind of this Disney a uh, hyper-romantic version of what love is that so many are chasing after. The, the tingles, the feeling, the, the emotion of love. And yet, when we really understand what love is, we, we, we come to know that love is so much deeper and so much greater and so much more powerful. In fact, in 1985... Huey Lewis kind of let us in on this, right? Because he, he, he wrote the song. You remember the, the hit song in 1985 about the power of love? Well, I'm here to tell you that love is powerful, but probably not in the way that Huey Lewis thought that it was, in all of the ways that Huey Lewis meant when he sang about the power of love. But I want us to understand this morning the true power, the true nature of love. And as we do that, we're going to understand that to really understand love, what real love is, what real love is all about, and how we ought to live in light of, in response to real love, that we've got to dig deeper and we've got to go further than just the idea of romance or the idea of uh, marriage or the idea of, uh, of physical intimacy, that love is so much more than, than all of that. Now, each of those things that I've mentioned, they, they fit under the much broader umbrella of love and they're components of or aspects of how we experience love, true. And yet love itself is so much greater, so much more. And so I want us to consider that this morning as we, as we understand this love that we see in Galatians chapter 5 is given to us as a fruit, as a product. You remember last week we studied this as kind of an overview and a kickoff that the, we use the word fruit. And a lot of times when we talk about fruit, we talk about produce. It's what, it's what it produces, right? This is something that the Holy Spirit produces in us. 
as we learn to live in light of love. There are so many passages of Scripture that we could turn to as we, as we seek to understand love. We're going to look in 1 John chapter 3 and 1 John chapter 4, but there are so many incredible texts in the New Testament that we could use. And I wrestled this week with where do we, where do we go exactly? Which, which of these texts, which one do we key in on? Which of these? And, and ultimately, the reason that I landed with 1 John has everything to do with, in particular, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, that tells us that God is love. To understand love takes us back to the very nature, the very character, the very person of who God is and the ways that He has revealed Himself to us that we may know Him. So to know love, ultimately, we're going to see is to know God. But there are so many great things that we could say about love. In fact, Let me just give you a short list of some of the texts. Romans chapter 5 verse 5 tells us that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given us. So Romans 5 tells us that we know love because God has poured His love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 13 tells us that faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. All of these are fantastic passages that teach us about God's love that has been revealed and shown to us. But I want us to zero in on 1 John chapters 3 and 4 today. Now, Unlike the way that I normally do, normally I would just read the text and then we would come back and we would study it. But there's so much ground to cover here this morning that rather than reading 1 John 3 and 4 in their entirety, I'm going to encourage you to go this week to 1 John chapters 3 and 4 and read that. And and what I want to do this morning is I want to draw out some, some important truths that are based on the teachings of John in this letter, in 1 John chapter 3 and 4, that point us to God and point us to know God and experience His love that He's poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit as we walk in this fruit of love that God has given us. And so there are three important truths that I want us to see this morning that we find in these chapters, in 1 John chapter 3 and chapter 4. And then with each of these, these, these truths that we see about love, I'm going to give us several key points to consider as we think. And so you can even see in your worship guide on, uh, on the backside of your bulletin, you, you find where you can follow along. And so you, I've listed the references to these verses here, so you're going to know where I'm going and where I'm headed so that you can follow along with me as we look at love in the way that the Bible demonstrates what real love is and what real love is all about. So first of all, I want us to understand that love is foundational. Above all else, love is foundational. And what I mean by that is everything else that we, everything else that we could say about, about God and His character and His person is built off of this foundation that God Himself is love. And, and, and so he, we know love by knowing God. We experience love through a relationship with God that comes by faith. In fact, the very first thing that I want us to see as we think about love being foundational is that love comes from God. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and, and following. John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love, does not know God, because God is love. And in this, 
The love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. What an incredible truth. And then jump down to verse 19. You see, verse 19, we love because He first loved us. So love, we see, comes from God. God has revealed Himself to us, and He has shown His love to us. He has poured out His love for us that we might know Him. You remember in the early stages of a romantic relationship, a dating relationship, and, and, and somebody has to move first. Like somebody's got to make the first move, right? When, when you're interested in, in somebody. And, and it used to be, it used to be, we'll call it in the, in the old days, the good old days, if you want to. It used to be that somebody had to actually like work up the nerve to go talk to somebody. Nowadays, it's like, you know, a direct message or you, you start liking all their posts or something like that, right? There's, it, it works differently, a little differently than, but even at that, at some point, for any relationship to blossom and grow. There, there has to be someone who's initiating, somebody who's taking that first step. What the Scripture is teaching us is that God initiated. He took the first step. He's the one that, that, that made the first move by revealing Himself to us, by reaching out to us so that we know what love is because God, He took the first step. He revealed Himself. It comes from God to us. Love is not just an emotional thing. It's not just an experiential thing. Ultimately, it is derived from the very, the very nature of God, who He is, what He does, that God is love. And so we know love by knowing God. But not only does love come from God, but love also compels us toward others. I want, I want parents in the room to think about something. I've, I've been around the building today and and, and been high-fiving kids and that sort of thing. And, and even around the room, I've seen some of our youngest ones, some of our, our, our tiny little uh, newborns that are, that are some in the room this morning and some around the building. And I, I want you to think back as a parent to when your, your kids were born. Who had, to, who had to tell you to love your children? Did anyone have to tell you, hey, you're supposed to love these little ones? No one had to do that, right? Why? Because it's just natural. Because from the moment that they're born, even before they're born, you are compelled to love them. It's, just, it's, it's in your nature to love your children, to love those little ones. And that's the very same essence of, of what this truth is teaching us. That, that when we have the love of God in our hearts, no one has to say, hey, you should love others. When the love of God is real in us, when, when we experience the love of God through the Holy Spirit who has poured that love into our hearts, Romans 5, 5 teaches us, then that love compels us to love others. It's one of the real evidences of the work of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the true marks of genuine salvation is that when we come to know God, we will love others with the same love that God has given to us. Because the love of God, when it's alive in us, we can't contain it. We can't sit on it. We can't bottle it up. It just it oozes out of us. Now, to be fair, there are moments when, when we do that better than others. There are moments in our journey when, when perhaps we're loving others uh, the way that we should and, and moments when we struggle. I, I'm, not, I'm not 
uh, I'm not blind or ignorant to the fact that we live in a real world with real problems and real things, and we don't always do everything the way that we should. But what I'm saying is that when God's love is in us, we'll know it, and it will work its way out of us to affect others. Because love compels us toward others. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then jump down and look again at chapter 4, verse 21. What do we read in chapter 4, verse 21? And this commandment we have from Him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And that could be his brother or his sister, right? Anyone who loves God must also love others. Because the love of God compels us to love. When we experience that love, then we will love others with that love. So love comes from God. Love compels us toward others. You might think of it this way, that by faith, we experience the love of God and it draws us near to Him. But as we are drawn near God and we experience His love, then we become sort of a a conduit, an instrument through which the love of God flows out into the world so that we're compelled to love others with the love that has been poured into our hearts. These are foundational truths that we need to understand. This is is foundational. This is fundamental to what it means to be a believer in Jesus. This is fundamental what it means to have faith in God, is to love and to experience His love in our hearts so that we might love others with the same love that has been given. And, and the thing that I want you to understand is these are not merely suggestions. We saw this in our Sunday school lesson this morning. If you were in Sunday school and you studied the lesson, these aren't just suggestions, these are commandments. We are given the commandment to love others, not the mere suggestion. And so love is foundational to our Christian experience. It's foundational to our faith. It's foundational to walking by faith in Christ. Or, as we saw last week in Galatians 5, to walk in the Spirit. That we would know the love of God and we would love others with that same love. The second truth about love that we see is that love is formative. Love is formative. James K.A. Smith has written a fantastic book on love that I want to recommend to you. And it, the name of the book is You Are What You Love. You Are What You Love. It's a fantastic work. And in that book, You Are What You Love, he essentially builds the case that what we love is important because our loves are the things that we desire. And the things that we desire are the things that we pursue. The things that we spend our life's energy chasing after and pursuing are the things that we love. And so it has this formative effect in our lives that the things that we love, the things that we desire, are the things that we seek. It's the things that we, that we give our lives attention to. And so he makes the point that love is, is formative in, in spiritual formation, in discipleship, that love is at the very heart of what discipleship is all about. So much of the time, we think of discipleship in terms of transfer of information. So much of the time when we think about discipleship and growing in our faith, we think about having more information and having more understanding and knowing more truth. And the more truth I know and the more I understand, the more I will do these things. And he says, it's actually, it's about love. That to the extent that we experience the love of God and we know more about the love of God and we pursue the love of God, then we grow as disciples. That love is formative. Love is formative. 
Love informs. When we, when we understand what love is, it informs, it informs our identity in Christ. It informs the way that we approach our faith. It informs the way that we act. It, it informs our behavior. It informs our desires. Love informs. It shapes. It molds. That's what it means for something to be formative, right? Is that it molds us. It shapes us. Well, in this way, love informs. It, it informs us of, of what we ought to do. First John chapter 3, verse 16. By this, we know love. It's not just that we, it's not just that we, we think about love. We know love. How? He goes on to say that He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And then in verse 19 through 21, 1 John 3, verses 19 following. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. How do we live with that confidence of the knowledge? By experiencing God's love in our hearts. We know this. We know these things to be true so that it ought to shape our heart and our desires. We can know love by knowing God. And we can be formed by that love so that it informs our understanding. It informs our heart's desires. Do you ever, you ever reach a point where you realize that you're, that you're pursuing something that's not good for you? You ever have that moment, that light bulb moment where you realize, I'm spending all this time and all this energy, even perhaps all this money, chasing after this thing, and, and yet in reality, I don't need that. I don't even know that I really want that. It's just, it's there, and I'm, right? We have those moments at times where, where, where we realize what, what really matters, what's, what's really lasting, what's really eternal, what's of real consequence, what's of real worth. Love helps to inform our understanding of what we ought to pursue and, and, frankly, what our hearts ought to long for so that when we have those moments where we realize that I want the wrong things, then we need to repent. We need to return. We need to recenter our lives so that we would, that we would seek after the Lord and our hearts desire would be for Him. So love informs. Not only does love inform, love transforms 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, we read that by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. By this, meaning through loving God, through walking by faith, love is perfected. Love has its way. That doesn't mean that we become perfect. But that what that means to say is that love, it does its work in us. Love is perfected in us. Is another way to say that is, is love does its work. What is the work that love does in us? It transforms us. You remember the, in, the, in the movie, uh, The Grinch, the, how the Grinch stole Christmas? There's that moment where his heart melts, remember, in that, right? It, it's like it, he's transformed because he realizes something that he never knew. Love has that power in our lives, that it transforms us. Yes, it, it informs our understanding, but it transforms, it changes, it does its work. As we experience the love of God, it does a work from the inside out in us, transforming us, 
remaking us, reconstituting our heart's desires and our affections, pointing us out toward a world that Jesus loves, that we might love them with the love that He's given to us. Love is transformative. It transforms. And then finally, we see that love conforms. Love conforms, meaning that love, it's not just changing us. It's not just love for love's sake. It's not just love as a feeling, love as an emotion, love as, as an emotive idea. It's not just love as, as an ideological concept. Love is love, or love in love, or love for the... No, it's love that is, that is conformed to the image of Christ. Love that is shaped after the very giver of love, the author of love, the one who created and sustained us for the sake of knowing His love. It conforms us to the image of Christ. First John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, we read, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who hopes, who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. How are we conformed by this love? Well, for one, we, we purify ourselves. We purify our hearts. We purify our conscience. We seek to be emptied of the world that we might be filled with Christ, knowing that someday when Jesus returns, this world will be made right. And all things in this world will be set as God truly intends for them to be. But in the moments between now and then, in that tension of the, of, of the already and the, and the not yet, right? In, the, in this moment where we live, we seek to be conformed to the image of Christ. To be like Him. To be molded and shaped. Something that is conformed takes the image of, of something else, right? Something that is conformed, is molded by and shaped by. So when you take liquid and you pour liquid in, in a cup, the, the liquid takes the form or the shape of that cup. My favorite liquid to pour in a cup is coffee because I love coffee. And, you know, we've got this coffee mug at the house that is shaped like Baby Yoda, Grogu, if you know the, 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 uh, the Mandalorian and all of that. So we've got this, this Yoda mug, and when you pour coffee in that shape, then you've got coffee in the shape of a Baby Yoda, right? But the coffee itself isn't really shaped like Baby Yoda. It just takes that shape because the liquid conforms to the container, the thing that's, Right? What the Scripture is teaching us is that we want to be conformed to the image of Christ. That the thing that we want our lives to be shaped like is the image of Jesus Himself. So that as we saw a few weeks ago in our study in Romans, we've been studying this year through the book of Romans. And we've taken the summer off to study the fruit of the Spirit and we'll pick back up. But when we were in Romans chapter 8, we saw in verse 29 that we're, that we're chosen by God, predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. In other words, God's design, His purpose for our lives is that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus. How does that happen? That happens as we experience His love, as our desires are reshaped and reformed, as we're transformed by the, the love of God inside of us, working its way out. We are conformed to the image of Christ. And so love is formative to our spiritual formation. It's formative to our discipleship. It's formative to our experience. That we are formed into the image of Christ. We are made to be the people that God desires for us to be as we experience His love in our hearts and our lives. So love is foundational. Love is formative. And finally, in these texts, in, in these chapters in 1 John, we see that love is functional. 
Now, when I say the word functional, we probably think in terms of something that's utilitarian, right? When we use the word functional, we think about something that's handy. We think of something that's useful. Well, love is handy and love is useful, but that's not what I mean when I use the word functional here. I'm not talking about utilitarian. So, you know, uh, maybe, you've got, maybe you've got some things in life that are utilitarian, that are, that are handy. Rayleigh just got a new car a few weeks ago, about a week ago, I guess. And we had ordered it weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks ago. Uh, and, and, you know, the supply chain and all those things that are going on in the world right now. And it's really, it's interesting because we get in the new car and we don't know where anything is. Like, we don't know where, you know, we, how do you turn the radio on? How do you turn the air on? How do you start the dumb thing, right? It's like, we don't even know where anything is in the car. You've got to learn where all the budgets and all, all the buttons and the gadgets and all the things are in the car as you're trying to figure out how it all works. But everything has been strategically thought through in, in this car, in, in any car, right? I mean, somebody, some team of people, it was their job to figure out where are we going to put this button and that button and this thing and how's this going to work and, and everything is kind of utilitarian. It's got a purpose and a place and a design and a thought. Yes, love is functional in that way. But love is so much more. What I mean when I say that love is functional is to, to say that love Love is doing something in us. It's not dead. It's not static. It's not, it's, it's not rigid. Love is constantly working on us and in us and through us so that we might be formed, so that our lives might be built upon that foundation. And so love is functional. It's working in our lives to produce something. Now, the big picture here we've seen already is the thing that it's trying to produce in us is Christ-likeness. So that we would love others with the love that's been poured out to us. So that we might love this world and the people in this world the way that God loves them and sees them. That we might pursue people in this world with the gospel the way that, the, that, that God has pursued us. That's the, the function of love. It was never meant to end with you. The reason that God showed His love to you and saved you is not just so that you would be saved, so that you might join Him in His work of reaching others. That's why we say all the time around here that the mission of First Baptist Church, we believe the mission of every believer, is to love all people of faith in Christ and to multiply disciples. So our mission is to love people to faith in Christ and that through that that we might advance the kingdom and reach people for the gospel. Where does that come from? Well, that, that's rooted in the heart of 1 John 3 and 4. That God has poured out His love on us. That God has extended His love to us so that we might show that love to others. Yes, it changes us. Yes, it informs, it transforms, it conforms us. Praise God it does. But it also then works through us so that we would love others with the love. It's functional in this sense. Love is affective. Now, I didn't misspell that word when you see it on the screen. Uh, it's, I'm not saying affective, I'm saying affective. In the world of psychology, affect is a word for mood. In fact, when I was, my undergraduate degree is in psychology. And so when I was working on my bachelor's degree years and years ago, we had to do a major project. One of the things that you had to do, you had to take a class that was called experimental psychology. And you had to come up with a, 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 a project. And my project was built around affect was built around the idea of mood and, and, and how you could manipulate an environment, uh, this experiment that I, that I did, how you could manipulate things in such a way to try to 
uh, manipulate mood, essentially, someone's mood in, in a given circumstance. Well, the word affect means mood. And I don't mean here to say that love is moody, but I, what I mean to say is that love truly stirs us at the level of the heart. I've been saying all morning, love's not just an emotion, it's not just a feeling. I'm not going back on myself here, I'm just saying it's so much more than that. But, to be clear, love is affective, meaning that it moves us, it gets us in the feels, right? I mean, love is meant to stir our hearts and stir our desires and stir our emotions. Yes, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. You see, the love is perfected. In other words, it does its work in us. We saw that in 1 John 4, 17, because there's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. When God pours His love into our hearts, it drives out the fear and the doubt and the shame and the pain and all those things that would take up residence in our heart. They're displaced, they're replaced by the love of God that is given to us through His Holy Spirit and His work in our hearts. Yes, love is emotional. It's not simply emotional. Yes, love is affective. It's not merely affective, though. Yes, it'll move you, it'll stir you, it'll grip your heart. But it's not just about moving the heart. It's also about It's also about our minds and our actions and our behavior. It's about putting all these things together so that we experience God's love. We are stirred and moved and sent out to a world that desperately needs the love of Jesus. But to be clear, love is affective. It's emotional. Love is active. 1 John 3, verse 18, we see little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. How do we really show love? With our actions, with the things that we do. Because love is effective, but it's also active, meaning that love is driven to, it it, it drives us to do things. It shapes our behaviors. It shapes the way we feel, yes, but it also shapes the things that we do. Because love is active. It's a, a verb. You've heard people say before, love is a verb. Well, it is a verb. It's also a noun, right? I mean, so sometimes I've even said that before. Y- yes, it's a verb. It's a noun. Love is, is a powerful word. But what I want you to understand is that love, especially the love of God as we're talking about it here, it's, it's meant to move. It's meant to do. Its purpose, its design is to change and do and grow and reach so that as we experience that love, we would give that love away. And then finally, we see this important truth. Love is abiding. It's abiding. It remains with us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. We've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So that we experience these things. Well, how does God abide in us? How is it that God abides in us? It's through the presence of His Holy Spirit. In fact, the place where we first learn about God abiding with us, abiding in us in the, in the teaching of the Scripture, particularly, particularly in the teaching of Jesus, we see this in His teaching to His disciples in John chapters 14, 15, and 
16, what we refer to as the farewell discourse, that Jesus is sharing these moments with his disciples in their last moments together before the Garden of Gethsemane and his arrest and his betrayal. And in those moments, we see that Jesus, Jesus tells his disciples that they're to remain, they're to abide in him. John chapter 15, that we're to abide in him. And he says, if my word remains in you, then you will abide in me. It's the, it's the whole picture of the trellis and the vine, that we're, that we're rooted, we're established, we're abiding. And where does that come from? Well, that abiding comes through the presence of His Holy Spirit in our hearts and our lives. God abides with us. I mean, practically speaking, or, or maybe I should say uh, experientially, the way that we experience God abiding with us is through the presence of His Holy Spirit in our hearts. And that same Holy Spirit is working in us to inform us, to transform us, to conform us to the image of Christ so that we would be like Jesus, that we would love others with the love that God has given to us. Love is abiding in our hearts. Love is powerful. Huey Lewis nailed it. It's probably, it's probably powerful in a lot of ways that Huey didn't understand, right? But he nailed it. The power of love. Love is powerful in our hearts and our lives. And when we know this love, and we live in this love, and we experience this love, not only will it transform us, but it will, it will then work its way through us. But I wonder this morning, has there ever been that moment in your life when you have been transformed by the love of God? Has there ever been that moment in your life when you have surrendered your heart and your life to Him? When by faith you have confessed your sin and you have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin and you have made Him truly the the Lord, the Savior of life by surrendering your heart to Him, thus receiving His Holy Spirit. If that's never happened, then in a moment when we move into a, a time of response, I would encourage you that you would respond by faith today. How do I do that? Well, simply by, by praying, Jesus, I admit, that I'm, I admit that I'm a sinner. But I believe that you have the power to forgive my sin and transform me. Would you come in my heart and my life? I confess you. I, make you, I confess you as Lord and Savior. I make you the, the Lord of my life today. If you're willing to pray a prayer like that and surrender your heart and life to Him, then you can be saved. And you can experience the love of God poured out by His Holy Spirit in your heart that you might be changed by Him. And then... Once you experience that love, you can love others with the same love that God has given to you. My prayer for us is that we would be utterly transformed by the love of God, conformed to the image of Christ, so that we would look like Jesus, we would love like Jesus. And that as we do that, as we love the world around us with the love that God has given to us, that, that our community would be turned upside down. Think about for just a moment how different Chickasha and the surrounding area would be if every person in this room left here today on fire for the Lord, just overwhelmed and overcome by the love of God, that He's forgiven you of your sins, that He's transformed you, that He's saved you from sin and death. He saved you from ultimate punishment in hell and rescued you and redeemed you that you might walk in newness of life. Think about how that power, if we really let that power sink in and it, and it really affect us, and think about how that might 
would, would not only change us, but it would change our community because we would go out and we would share that love. We would push back the darkness in Chickasha and the surrounding area. That's God's purpose and his design for us today. That's the reason you're here, was to hear this message and to know that this is God's will, his purpose for your life. That you would love others with the love that he's first extended and made available to you through faith in Jesus. And so in a moment, as we move into a time of response, the first way that I would encourage you to respond is by surrendering your life to Jesus. If that's never happened, as we sing the song of invitation, Brad and I will be standing here at the front. We would love nothing more than to pray with you and, and, and walk you through that prayer of, of commitment. that You would surrender your life to Christ. And if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, my prayer is that you would say with, with genuine conviction today, you would be willing to pray, Lord, show me how I can love others with a love that you've given to me. Lord, show me what it means for me to be informed by your love, transformed by your love, conformed to the image of Christ, that I may love others with the love that you've given to me. And so as we prepare to respond to this truth in a moment, I want to encourage you to bow your head and close your eyes. And even as I've mentioned already, in a moment we're going to sing a song together. And as we sing that song, then I would encourage you, if you're ready to respond by faith to Jesus today, that you would come in that moment. We'll be here at the front ready to pray with you, ready to receive you. But if God is speaking to you and he's moving in your heart today, I want to encourage you that you respond to his, his great act of love made available to us through faith in Christ. Lord, we are so grateful that you love us. We're humbled. We're overwhelmed because we recognize that we're not deserving of this love. God, you don't just love those who are deserving. You don't just love good people because we understand there, there's no one who's deserving. There's no one who's earned your love. There's no one who can be good enough for your love. We've all fallen short, and yet we receive your love freely as a gift. And as we are transformed, our desires transformed through a knowledge of you, I pray that you would move us to love this world with the love that you've given to us. So Jesus, move in our hearts now. All this we ask by faith in you. Amen. As we stand